People say that being a mother is the world's hardest job. Raising the kids, running the household, and making sure there is enough love and joy to go around. Not to mention also running a business or keeping up with the demands of a job or career or sideline. Multi-awarded social entrepreneur Anna Melotto Wilk is the co-founder of Human Nature. She is also a wife and a mother to six kids, and one has to marvel at how she manages to pull off this juggling act. Anna discusses the real-life struggles of working mothers, drawing from her own experiences and the experiences of the women on her team, as well as talks about what mothers can bring to the table. My name is Leah Cruz. On this episode of What Glass Ceiling, we talk to Anna Meloto Will. Hi, Anna. Welcome to What Glass Ceiling. Hello, Leah. Thank you for having me today. Now, you know, the past couple of years have been tough on everyone. Mm-hmm. How have you been and how have, how have you been riding out this pandemic? Ah, I mean, it's been a roller coaster, right? I think at the beginning of the pandemic, um, uh, any person who has been in any kind of position of um, leadership or authority, it was really an adrenaline rush. Na parang, okay, all right, na parang I don't have the kind of luxury to parang panic or something because there's stuff to do, there are you know, people to take care of and that sort of thing. So the first couple of months was really more of, okay, um, what do we have to do? Uh, you know, how, how can we keep our people uh, encouraged and all of that? Um, and I think I've, I've seen many of, um, you know, my friends who are in this similar situation um, be in that position. And even just mothers, diba right? Parang is keeping your children... Um, kind of uh, peaceful and not panicked about, okay, how come I can't go to school anymore and all of those things. Uh, but since it's been so long na now, I think everyone has gone through like the ups and downs. And there, I mean, admittedly also, there have been many days that I'm like, okay, how long is this going to be? Diba? Na parang, when are we going to get out of this tunnel? Um, so we've we've all had those days na um, feeling a little bit, uh, hopeless, but then, um, you know, how we feel doesn't change our circumstances. Naman. So we kind of have to pick ourselves up again and find um, motivation um, in something to, to keep going. So, so yeah, it's been a roller coaster, but I mean, still very grateful for, you know, pockets of joy and things that make you smile in, in, in the day to day, whether it's, you know, somebody sending you a grab of, coffee or somebody who greets you uh, out of the blue or like a Zoom reunion with your high school friends that you haven't seen for like 20 years or something. So, yeah. You did mention mothers and I know you're a mom yourself. Yeah, yeah. To six children. (laughs) What are their ages? So my eldest is about to turn 16 um, and my youngest is four. So in between, I have a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 6-year-old. So three girls, three boys also. Oh, at least even siya. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Three girls and three boys. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to find out how you're coping with distance learning though. Uh, okay, so 
so with six kids, we're actually half and half. Um, all, the three older kids are in distance learning, um, especially because my um, two eldest daughters are um, really kind of in the more advanced subjects already. But our three youngest children are homeschooled. So my um, fourth child used to be in regular school, but um, halfway through the pandemic last year, we pulled him out um, only because we realized that he wasn't taking to the distance learning format. Um, so we tried out homeschooling. Uh, my husband and I actually share in that responsibility. He teaches certain subjects and I teach certain subjects. Um, and yeah, so far he's been thriving a lot more in this new setup. Yeah. Your husband is also your co-founder in yes. Human Nature. Yeah. So yes. I, you both work from home? Yes, we do both work from home. Um, occasionally we still visit the office we still look um um we, we still go to the factory uh but so far we were also super surprised we didn't think that this kind of setup would work i mean if you asked us before the pandemic if we would consider working from home i don't think and like any of us would have thought that you know this was going to be a feasible <laughs> arrangement but you know Surprisingly, uh, 19 months into it, um, it seems like our teams are really um, have adapted to to this setup. So with you and your husband both working from home most of the time and you have six kids in distance learning and you're homeschooling three of them. What's your daily home life like? <laughs> um, see, that's the thing. I think one of the best um, kind of blessings that the pandemic has has given us is more time together because we don't have to drive to work anymore and we don't have to drive the children to school anymore. And layo-layo pa ng school nila because we live all the way outside Metro Manila. Um, what has really worked for us is establishing routines. So um, we, all of us, we have to be up by 7 a.m. I'm actually up earlier than 7 because I go for a run before the whole family wakes up. <laughs> Um, but we have a date with one another, 7 a.m. We should all be together in our uh, family room because we have a family prayer at 7 a.m. Um, just very short, two songs, two worship songs, and then we pray for the day and pray for people that, um, you know, whose concerns have come to us. And that's maybe what, like 10 minutes. And then after that, we go for a quick walk around the block because, preparing the kids for like a whole day of well at least for the older ones of being in front of the computer they need to kind of stretch their 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 legs and make sure they get some sunshine and fresh air so that's like a five minute thing and then we have breakfast together and then the kids go off the older kids go off um, for their online school and then I start um homeschooling my four-year-old first so 30 minutes with her from 8 to 8 30 or sometimes 8.45, depending on if she's in the mood. And then after that, I homeschool my boys, my two boys naman, from um, 8.45, 9 o'clock until around 10.30. And then I log in to work at 10.30 until around 4.35. But in between, we have lunch together. I have a 30-minute uh, math um, subject with my son also after lunch. So I start usually my meetings in the afternoon around 1.30 to 2. But prior to that, nakasingit na ako ng math subject with my, with my son. <laughs> How do you prioritize keeping your sanity? <laughs> that's, a, that's a funny question because the other day, I was brushing my teeth and then I was 
I, I was thinking, alam mo, there are days that the only self-care that I can manage is brushing my teeth. But that, <laughs> but that's still self-care, di ba? <laughs> Na parang, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know if this is peculiar to me, but I get a lot of satisfaction from brushing my teeth and <laughs> cleaning my teeth. If that's the only accomplishment that I can do for myself or that's the only self-care that I can do for myself, then I'll take it, diba? Um <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, there are days naman that I can do a lot more than just brushing my teeth. <laughs> what I'm saying is I just... I, I I don't beat myself up. And I, I I kind of um appreciate even the small things that I can do um for myself. Um but other than that, it's what I mean, I've always journaled. I was just going through my stuff the other day. I saw my my journal from when I was 20 years old. I'm sure I have earlier ones from when I was 13 years old, that sort of thing. And I was like cringing at all of the things that I was writing down. I was like, who is this like cringy person that I do not know? Um, but but yeah, I mean, I it's always been a great way to kind of unload or untangle your emotions and your your thoughts and at the same time it's very cathartic diba um and i see also it's a great way of tracking your progress na okay na parang wow when i was 20 i was so kind of uh insecure or people pleaser buti na lang like now in my 30s 40s i can see how i've grown in that area so that's 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 one thing that i do for kind of self care uh for me I'm sure that you have a lot of other responsibilities also that we haven't even begun to touch on as the as, as the founder of human nature and you have all of these work responsibilities and all of these themes to run as well but in relation to being a mother and and a wife how have you evolved as a parent from when you were setting up human nature when it was new to when it was running on its own and now with all the challenges brought about by the pandemic because things aren't always smooth sailing or a steady ride and then you have to adjust to certain situations. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I mean, in my earlier days, I had a lot more angst. Um, like, I'd feel guilty because I wasn't spending enough time with my children when it was very busy season. But at the same time, I'd feel guilty when I was like spending too much time with my children because I think now, okay, there's so many things that I'm missing at work. So there was always that tension between those two major responsibilities. And I think it just came um, later on, maybe in my mid-30s to late-30s when I realized that actually I just have to accept that I will always disappoint myself as a mother and I will always disappoint myself as a leader. Um, the sooner that I accept it, then the sooner that it kind of unburdened me that there will be days when I won't be fully happy with the work that I've done um, as, as a leader. But then there would be days when I would be fully happy also with you know, the, the way that I'm doing things um, with my children. But the important thing is to realize, okay, what are the things that I could do better and just try again, you know, the following day. Um, you know, I guess it's because I, I realized, that, okay, I was stressing so much in my 30s and 40s. And if I just kind of let go of all that energy to stress, then I would have devoted more time to actually improving and actually doing 
things better. And now that I'm, I'm in my 40s, I'm like thinking, okay, I don't want to waste any more kind of time and energy in in angst. And rather, I'd, I'd want to really, if I feel guilty, then change the things that I'm guilty about. Um, if I feel like I've failed in something or I've disappointed some people in at work, then what can I do to kind of correct that disappointment? So I guess it's just that. No, no more wasteful energy on unproductive emotions, I guess. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of talk also nowadays. Uh, people will have, the, have the battle cry that women can do anything. Women can take on everything at the same time. You can have it all, basically. Do you think that's true, though? I mean, when you're living it day-to-day? No, not at all. Because, I mean... I'm in a different season now than when I was maybe even five years ago because, um, you know, for what, 15 years, I was either pregnant or breastfeeding. And as any mom who's been through that knows, you know, it's very difficult to really take on a full load when you, when you're, you know, when you have a toddler, when you're breastfeeding. Yeah, it's really difficult. And, and I mean, I've done it all. I've pumped at work. I've, you know, I've brought my kids to 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 meetings before. I've even given a talk while while nursing. And I mean, on the one hand, you look back and you're like, wow, I was able to do it. But at the same time, I think I don't want to do it again. <laughs> you know, it's it's so tough. It's so hard to be kind of um to have everything to do everything at the same time. So I mean, I've also heard a lot of women say, and I think it's very wise that you can't. You can have it all, but not all at the same time. I mean, you can have the job, you can have the kids, but you can't be, for example, you know, super hands-on mom and like going to every play date and, you know, completely um, hand, hand, hand cooking, hand making all of their organic food and also be kind of leading 500 people at work. It's just not physically possible unless you're Doctor Strange and you can bend time, that sort of thing. <laughs> so so I really like this um, idea of seasons that, you know, there are certain seasons in your life where um, you just have to let go of certain responsibilities and you have to be comfortable with that. And I think that's why it was such a landmark um piece of legislation when we were finally able to get the extended maternity leave. Now, you know, we we already get like 120 days of leave because, you know, it's very, very hard to uh, be on top of your game when, you know, you're, you know, all of this, just the um, emotions of having a newborn and your body changing and all of that. So, um, we just have to to really accept that. But then once you get out of the season, like now I'm in a new season and now where my children are a little bit more independent, so I can take on more work. I can take on more load. What are the most hard-earned lessons, the most difficult ones, or maybe the most painful ones to learn that you can share with us? I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned, especially since my children have entered the teenage years is not to take things for granted. That when, you know, they're not complaining or they don't seem to be distressed, don't assume that everything's fine. It's so important to have like regular check-ins with your 
with your children. Um, it's so important to really pay attention to their body language, um, pay attention to their moods, even when they're not saying that they're in distress. Um, because uh, I think we have, with God's grace, averted certain like very difficult uh, situations just because we simply ask, how are you? How are things? Or how come you're, you're grumpy today? And stuff like that. So especially for first-time parents, especially if you've only had like one teenager, teenagers, can be, teenagers sometimes can be so scary because, you know, um, it's like they're a whole new different creature from, you know, the adorable, predictable um, child that you used to have. Um, so sometimes the tendency of parents is just to kind of let them be, you know, allow them to just lock themselves up in their room and and that sort of thing. But um, I think it's very important to um, also be nosy at a certain degree, not too nosy, <laughs> but a lot of them are also wanting your attention, even though they don't look like it or they don't act like it. So, so, so that's like one big lesson for me, especially now I have like a 16 year old and a 14 year old. Um, what else? It's so important to also check in with your partner um, on a regular basis. Um, and hopefully what you're talking about is not just the children, but you're also checking in on like the well-being of, of, of your partner. Um, and that's hard because when you have children, when you have work, parang the tendency is, inisip mo, eh, matanda ka na, kaya mo na yan, di ba? Bakit kailangan tong, I mean, why, why do I still have to check in on you? But um, I think especially for women, it's so important that you check in on your husbands because... Um, Men also don't have the usual kind of um, space where they can breathe or they can um, be able to kind of sort through their emotions. And um, I guess as a wife, that's one of the things that I, I've learned over the years that same with my teenagers, even if my husband's not showing signs of distress, pag may mga signs, I kind of have to check in on him. Also, it can be absolutely overwhelming to talk about and you just think about all these things that you have to do, especially as a mom, as a wife and as an entrepreneur, someone with a career and a business to run. And these are struggles that most women face. Even if it's even if they don't. Even if they aren't very vocal about it. Hmm. Are, are are these issues that you've talked about with with the women that you work with or mm-hmm. women around you? I I love working with women because you can really see that a lot of them um are empathetic. Like they're empathetic leaders. They um I I find it easier to kind of break the ice when I'm working with with women also um, because a lot of them are very transparent and I guess maybe it's also in our company culture that we're very casual um, so I think it's it's a struggle I've seen it na parang they, that's why that's one of the reasons why we also opened our our child care center 
actually, we started this company, Daycare, um, in 2018. And we actually opened our doors in 2019, just before the pandemic. <laughs> before our one year, the pandemic happened. But um, we had already been operating a company, Daycare. Um, and human nature, and this came about when you know talking to to our um, co colleagues. I mean, people from the warehouse, people from in manage management positions, they all shared like a common um, struggle, which is childcare. It's so it's so hard to find um, people to watch over our children, especially at the ages of zero to five before they're actually in big school. Um, and it it just dawned on me that you know it might be that I'm actually taking away um, the parent in the most critical times of their children's lives. So it was kind of like a guilt that I carried on my shoulder because um, they call it the tender years, the the formative years zero to five, the right? That's when the most um, like the the highest kind of um, speed of development happens that's when they can learn like multiple languages for as long as they have kind of the right stimulus but um of course we have to still work we have to put food on the table especially for some of our um workers from the merchandising unit and from the warehouse a lot of the women are breadwinners so they can't stop working um, but the issue was their children were being left in the care, if you can even call it that, of just neighbors. And the care that they would give is that um, children are left at home and then um, the neighbor would just bring food at lunch and check on them maybe once in the afternoon. Um, and that left a lot of um, these children um, at risk and vulnerable to um, neglect, to uh, abuse also from, you know, suspicious characters in the neighborhood. So um, we opened up a daycare so that our our colleagues can, can bring their children to work. We had um, a staff of teachers. They were early education specialists um, who took care of, of these kids. I mean, we even had babies like six months that you know, we would take in. And the good thing about it was that during the time when we would still go to the office, um, the breastfeeding moms can actually come and see their kids at lunchtime or during their break to nurse their kids if they wanted to to pump. So we had these programs. And, you know, um, what we did was um, to make sure that it was available and it was like a sliding scale that um, according to how much you were earning it, that's how you would contribute to the daycare. So it was like a, a sliding scale of tuition fee. So those in the warehouse would pay less than, for example, a manager who would um, have a higher salary, but they still all had the same quality of care. So we had these, you know, teachers with um, kind of specialist education on early childhood. I mean, our consultant has even um, had her master's and all of those things. Um, and it, it was really in response to the needs of parents in the workplace. Um, and all of that, of course, was very much um, upended when the pandemic happened. So our teachers were available, but we, we, we couldn't open the daycare anymore. We had, you know, um, parents who were with their children you know, the whole work day. Um, so we quickly developed uh, online programs for for the kids also and made it more bite-sized, made it manageable. So um, it's only like 30-minute sessions, but then we would send home um, 
activities for the parents to do at their own time. So asynchronous stuff. So there's less pressure on them. And it wasn't perfect. It was so hard going the first couple of months. But we kept kind of iterating. and We kept kind of tweaking our programs until finally we were able to find kind of um, the right um, kind of model um, to help the parents still ensure that their children are continuing to be stimulated and at the same time, um, they're able to deliver um, the work goals that they have also. So, yeah. What did, what did the women who, or the parents actually, who were able to use this daycare facility or even enjoy the, the, the transfer of the services to, to online, what, what, did, what was the feedback from them? Uh, well, it was really good. I mean, some of them were, were even saying, I can't believe now this is what I get for what I contribute. Because it's really kind of, it's um subsidized program, that sort of thing. But I, I, I would say a lot of the credit really goes to our um, daycare team, our childcare services team. Because um, they were so committed to really um, still taking care of the children, but they were limited by not being able to be in face to face with them. So they poured in all of their creativity and all of you know um, the energy that they would have otherwise done in the face to face into creating um, you know out of the box programs for for these um, children. So they created Viber groups. They created um, you know these kind of uh, uh, guides for the parents. They even hosted like um, talks, webinars. They offered tutorials, that sort of thing. And I think the parents really appreciated all of that. And um, so much so that, you know, we've had a lot of testimonials saying that, you know, my kid could could barely read before they started the program. And now, you know, they progressed so much. They miss their teachers. They miss their classmates. They become more digital savvy. So, yeah, a lot of good feedback. Um, but it was hard going. It was so difficult to get the right model um, that will really engage the kids. It's interesting also because childcare is something that that almost all families need, basically. And you have so many mothers and fathers in the workforce, but childcare is not really something that's provided for by the office or by whatever entity that they work for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I mean, it's not a novel idea. <laughs> I mean, there's so many, there's so many um, models. For example, in other developed countries, like for example, one of our teachers used to be a daycare teacher in Singapore, and the daycare was actually um, in the train station, the first train station, because parents who were commuting to work would drop off their kids at the daycare, which was by the train station, go to work. And, you know, eight hours later, come back and pick them up. So, I mean, we were just, you know, studying all of these different kind of models and uh, trying to adapt it to the needs of the people in our company as well. And I guess what the novel idea was that we wanted to provide the same high quality um, childcare to everyone in the company. Um, It wasn't just available for the managers. It wasn't just available for those who could afford it, but we wanted the same 
equality for everyone because we wanted all of the human nature kids to um, experience and have that same strong foundation on their in their tender years. And you mentioned earlier that you love working with women because you think women are more empathetic. What else do the, do women bring to the table from your experience? Like it, within the company, what else do they bring to the table? So, so the empathy kind of opens up to other things. Like, for example, women are better at timing, I think, in terms of when you're having difficult conversations because they picked up on body language and on cues. Um, they can easily change tactics if they're about to kind of present something and then they pick up cues. Now, okay, maybe this conversation can be uh, postponed to another time when the timing is better. Um, so I appreciate that about, well, at least the, the the women in leadership that I've been working with. Um, there's also the, the flexibility, I guess, because a lot of women are used to chaos, especially if you're a mom, that you are able to kind of change gears um, very quickly without losing your head um, because you're you're used to screaming toddlers and still having to be able to kind of make dinner despite, you know, all of the noise in the background. So at work, I see like some of my strongest leaders are able to um, really keep their cool even when there are there's a lot of pressure. And there's a lot of kind of um, unplanned um, factors that come into play. Um, and another thing is I see that the women that I work with are able to slide across different groups. So they can easily relate with, you know, um, people who are working as our um, store staff. And so there's a different language there when you're communicating to them. But at the same time, they can do a very compelling presentation to, you know, the, to the leadership. Um, or when they're talking to their peers, they're able to negotiate. So ang term ko is sliders. I really admire um, workers who are able to kind of move from one group to the next and really adapt their style. And, but without compromising their goals, um, you know, in, in, in that context. And I think it has to be said also that that sometimes companies don't necessarily lean towards the women. Like the the opportunities are not the same. Like if you're a mom or if you're a if you're a woman in general, you don't get the same opportunities that say men do. Or if you're a woman, if you're married and you have kids, sometimes you're passed over for certain things because they. It's not your family life is not accommodated in like the work schedule or in in the in in everything that you have to do at the office. But seeing how you value that, I mean that that part of the of the people that you work with, what do say mothers bring to the table? People with families that are necessary that that other people, other companies might see as cons, maybe or liabilities, but mm-hmm. they. They're actually, if you look at it in a different way, they're actually great things or, or pluses. Yes. Yeah. Well, number one is like the nurturing attitude and um, just this um, style of leadership wherein mothers want to bring out the best in their teens because that's your job. That's like your primary job as a mom, right? You want to bring out the best in your child. And um, I think a lot of employers are losing uh, so much when they... Um, kind of dismiss or um, pass up 
women just because that they're in a certain season of their life. Um, just to give you an example, one of our you know best leaders um, in in the company, she had to take a long break um, after she gave birth because um, her her child had um, complications. They were um, the, the the child was born premature, and you know she had to be out of commission for for six months. I mean. In that context, we would have said, "Now, okay, well then, you know, there's no more job waiting for you when you come back because you know there are things that need to be done right now. And if you can't be here right now, then well, goodbye." But the way we see it, the way I mean, and it's not just me, but you know, our whole um, leadership in the company is that she has the char- character, she has the skills, and she has the personality to lead. And she may need this time to be with her child right now. But I know that, you know, if I sacrifice that six months and when she comes back, the value that she brings to the company is still going to be a lot more than, say, letting her go forever and replacing her with someone that I don't know and replacing her with someone who's not tried and tested. So I think um, it's just taking that more kind of long-term uh, perspective with your with your people and seeing what their character brings rather than what their deliverables can bring for now. So I guess it's also looking at it short term versus long term. A lot of um, decision makers, maybe because um, the nature of corporate is very competitive. I need to win now. I need to meet these goals now. But then we should also look at long term goals. Now, if I allow this person to have that six months to kind of ride out the season in her life, what benefits can I get that will kind of outweigh um, her absence for that short period of time? I could be wrong also. If Correct me on this, but something that amazes me is that, at least in the public eye, these issues of, of women, of mothers, are being given more space or airtime now, at least in the media, now more than ever. Because before, they all existed. It was, they were still issues. But they were just talked about in sort of hushed tones, like mm-hmm. woman to woman. But now they're all out in the open. Do you feel that way too? Or do you think that more attention is being given to these issues that specifically only women or only mothers experience? Um, It's possible that the pandemic and the work from home arrangement has made kind of the general society more um, open to listening to these issues. Because before, um, you know, the decision makers were insulated from from these issues. But now husbands are at home and they can see like what their wife has to go through, you know, having to... um, sit through a meeting while their, their their child is calling for them or, um, you know, trying to finish their work, um, waiting for the children to be, to be asleep before they can actually, you know, um, focus on their deliverables. So maybe all of that, all of those problems were invisible to some men until the pandemic happened. And then they realized that they have to contend with the same things. Men also have to deal with, you know, their own children, disturbing them during their Zoom meetings or um, having to find the quiet space in the house to go through all of their Excel sheets and all of these things. So maybe that's made them more empathetic as well. When a woman is going through 
a less than desirable experience at work, like those who have been passed over for positions because they've had children or those who haven't been given the same opportunities as say the, the, the women who work in human nature, you know, that can get, that can get to you eh? because, you know, of course you have your family, but of course you want to have your career. And of course you need to work. You need to put food on the table as well. So what would you tell them those who haven't had those kinds of opportunities who aren't in the same situation, who've perhaps been marginalized because of who they are, essentially. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot that can be said about, you know, perseverance and resilience. And I think a lot of women just have to kind of rediscover their worth. And I hope it doesn't have to come from external validation. And that's why I feel like it's so important to have your faith to always reflect on your worth, that it doesn't have to come from, you know, somebody else saying that, you know, you're valuable because you're able to contribute in this way, diba? There's so much um, value in just, you know, being a mother, for example. It might not be compensated in the same way that, you know, uh, a public attorney is compensated or a marketing manager is compensated. But I think... Um, having these conversations about what we can contribute, um, even if it's not in the traditional sense, is is so important. And um, for those who, of you know, of us, or I mean, I still experience this, who are experiencing bouts of doubt, uh, imposter syndrome, or, you know, insecurity, I think it's, it's very um, important to surround yourself with um you know people who can encourage you um i mean that's one sort of external motivation but maybe if that's what's going to get you started in terms of having a more kind of um positive way of looking at things and give you the um the courage to start again and to try again and knock on a few doors again then it's 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 a good place to start but um at the end of the day, I think we should really find our worth in um, not in in our titles, but I mean personally for me, I'm um, I'm a person of faith. I really see that my primary identity is in you know being um, a child of God, and with that comes you know dignity. With that comes your own very specific um, talents, interests, and um, once you recognize that that's your starting point that you actually have something then um you know it's what you offer to the world what you do with what you recognize it as you have that will help you to gain that courage again mahirap kasi when you start with feeling that you have nothing to offer but you always have to start with um knowing that you have something to offer because you're valuable um, you have your unique experiences. You have your, your unique talents, unique gifts. Sometimes it's really sad because sometimes people, even women who have had so many accomplishments in the past, they go through a rough patch. For example, they don't work for, for five years and all of a sudden they, they think that everything that they've done in the past years doesn't amount to anything or even everything that they've done even before the five years is not something that they can leverage. But all of that you can leverage for, you know, the next stage of your life. You just know, you just need to know how to 
to frame it. You just need to know how to package it and meet the right people who appreciate what you appreciate in yourself. Your father, Tony Malota, has also been in the public eye for a long time as the founder of Gawat Kalinga and as the recipient of numerous awards for his work. What are the most important lessons you've learned from him and from your parents in general? Mm, okay, so for my dad, it was really his, you know, kind of very radical perspective. And um, he was always the person who used to say, why not? Or why, you know, why can't we do things differently? He always challenged the status quo. Um, he was never satisfied with the answer eh, because that's the way things have always been. Um, and so from him, just I learned that firsthand, just always looking at the possibilities of how things can be better and not just kind of accepting that things that are broken will always be broken. Um, so that's really one big thing that I learned from my dad. From my mom, it's faith. I mean, n- no question about it. Um, even before she was married, she she's always been a, a woman of faith, not the type who just goes to Mass on Sunday, but the type who prays every day and really... Um, you know, brings her big decisions to into prayer. And um, and from her, I've also seen just the dignity and um, the pride of being a home builder, a homemaker, that um, she's never really held a corporate job after she got married, but she's always held this dignity that I'm not just a housewife, you know, I'm raising my children. I'm building a home. And on the side, I am running a school bus. I am selling insurance. I am, you know, I have so many sidelines. She's like the original slasher hustler, um, if I ever saw one. Um, and her life was always about um, serving, serving her children, being useful. And she never felt any um, kind of, embarrassment, I guess, from not having official titles because she knew what her worth was and she knew that, you know, her talents were being used to the fullest in taking care of her four children. So much so that when our youngest graduated college, she said to herself, hold on a minute, I'm not yet done. So we adopted a fifth sibling (laughs) because she said, I have still so much to give. So why not give it to someone who needs it? What are the words that you personally live by? My favorite verse, my life verse is um, Jeremiah 29.11. For I know well the plans that I have for you, plans for your welfare and not for woe, plans to give you a future and a hope. And in every stage of my life, that has given me comfort, especially during the times when I felt stuck, when I felt like I wasn't progressing, when I felt like, you know, I was not at my best. Um, just knowing that God has good plans for me, that the future is really in his hands has helped me to keep going and, and not to give up. So, so that's one. That's my life verse. And also, um, I have this in my presentations before. I came across this quote by Leo Rosten. He was a, um, a survivor of the Holocaust. And he said that the purpose of life is not to be happy, but to be useful. 
And in the pursuit of your usefulness, happiness will just naturally come to you. So, yeah. That's beautiful. That's so beautiful. <laughs> Anna, thank you so much for being on What Glass Ceiling. 